So, with all of that said, let's go ahead and stay into Romans chapter 14. Did I say that yet? Okay. If I didn't, you didn't hear me? Romans 14. Most of us know where the book of Romans is at. And uh, I'll have you turn into the text, but we'll be able to find it pretty quickly. On Wednesday nights, we are revisiting a little more finely some thoughts from Sunday morning. This will be my last chance to do this for a while. And I, I think this, this, this subject is just worthy of additional attention. Um, uh, this is just really talking about grown up Christianity. Uh, if there's a title, it would be Prefer to Defer is the thought. And so, let me just give some pretext here. Sunday we talked about that um, some Jews from Jerusalem traveled to Antioch. And if you remember what started the church of Antioch was G Jews who were fleeing, who were saved. They were fleeing to persecution, and many of them landed in Antioch. So, a church was birthed there made up mostly of Jews. In time, Gentiles were saved, and they were the minority and added to the church. And so, the, the, that text uh, Sunday morning was about some strife there that happened in the inability, really, of the Jews to defer to the incoming um, Gentiles. In our story now, he's, he's in the church of Rome, and it's really the opposite happened. So, here, large numbers of Gentiles were saved first, and then in every chief city there, there was Jews there, and then Jews were saved and added to the church. And, and so, some conflict again. And this conflict between Jews and Greeks or Gentiles over these laws and ceremonies, uh, liberty versus, and grace versus, you know, some legalism sounds like a negative word, but keeping the law is, is a constant theme throughout the New Testament. So, we're going to be reading another passage about that, Romans 14, and Paul's instructions. Him that is weak in the faith receive ye but not to doubtful disputations. That words, those two words are unique there, but um, it means this, don't take their arguments and judge them. Don't judge their reasons harshly. Um, it's like the word krinos in the Greek, it means to have a, a judgment that is evil. So, these guys have a reason for doing what they do, and don't be critical of that is the idea. And the weak brother here would be the Jews who are holding to the traditions of the law. So, him that is weak in faith receive ye, he's speaking primarily to the Gentiles, but not to doubtful disputations, don't, don't critique them. For one believeth that he may eat all things, and another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him, krinos, critical judgment, him that eateth, for God hath received him. Both. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth, or falleth, yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, and another esteemeth every day alike. And, and, and now Paul's not showing favoritism to one side or the other. He says this instead, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day, to the Lord doth he not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, and he that and he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. In other words, we've got to give account to God. For whether we live, we live in the Lord, and whether we die, we die in the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, and or die, we are the Lord's. And for to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might 
be Lord both to the dead and living. So he's going to judge us. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. And I'm going to stop here. If you're not getting this, these last three, four verses have been about this. You're going to stand before God one day. That's enough judgment in this world. In terms of krinos. It's enough of that. So let people stand before God. You don't need to be their judge. Now, I'm not talking about discernment. That's a different kind of judgment. I'm talking about the kind of judgment that looks down your nose or is critical or has critique. So he's pressing the point. God will take care of it in his time. All right. Verse 13. Let us therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. And now he's really talking to the Gentiles. The impetus is on them to uh, curb themselves. I know and persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Whereas don't try to change a man's conscience. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably? Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Okay, you get know what he's saying here? It may not be a big deal to you, but it's a big deal to him. Don't make that guy stumble by doing it because you have the liberty to. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. In other words, it's not that you're wrong, but look up here. You can hold a right attitude or a right position in the wrong spirit by being too insistent that you're right. For the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but righteousness and peace and joy and the Holy Ghost. Not all these arguments about all these things. For he, that is, for he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace. In other words, not argument. And the things wherewith we may edify another. For meat or these gray matters of life destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense." It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that which he alloweth. In other words, if you have convictions based on the Bible and you hold them, good for you. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the night. And Lord, I... I pray you'd bring some clarity and some true application for this subject to our lives. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, as you're finding your way towards your seat, go ahead and take your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And I'm going to read part of this chapter, or really probably all of it. I just want you to stand for that length of time. Because it's on the same subject, and each time this is like looking in a house through a different window. And it just lends some clarity to what's happening inside the house and God's intention. And so this issue just continues in here, uh, not just in Antioch, and this issue wasn't just in Rome, but we find it once again here in the Corinthian church, but from another perspective now. In this perspective, the Corinthians were abusing their liberty. They, they were probably going too far. So chapter 8, verse 1. Now, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we have knowledge 
In other words, you understand that it's nothing. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. For if any man love God, the same is known of him. All right, so if this guy, this guy loves God, you know, that's good enough. As concerning, therefore, the, uh, for the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, false gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there be gods many and lords many, in other words, there's many people who say this, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and by Him. Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge. For some, with conscience of the idol, unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Okay, they go to the market, the meat's there, and they're told, hey, this meat was offered to idols. And that's where it came from. And this is a Christian now. And they're going, ah, uh, what do I do with this? You know, it's like, do I support Disney? Do I, do I buy this thing from, you know, uh, Walmart? Is it okay to fly on American Airlines? You, you with me? I mean, because all these things promote things that we would stand in great antithesis of. Okay? And, and so, can I? Well, this guy is going, I, I can't. And another guy goes, it's just meat. That's what Paul would say. It's just meat. Eat it. But, of course, you'll find out Paul is not going to eat it. Uh, he's not going to watch the Disney movie if it offends you. He's not going to eat this if it offends you. So, now I've lost my place. Um, Thank you. But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, if you keep the rule, and neither if we eat not are we the worse, if you don't obey the rule. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours, here is the rule you have to obey, become a stumbling block to them that are weak. Now this is a rule that none of us have the option to disregard. You, you don't have this option. You may choose to do this or choose to do that, and that's okay, but here's one rule you can't break, and that is to cause a stumbling block to somebody else who may have a different position. For if any man see thee which has knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to the idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. Okay, well, we just saw this with Paul and Barnabas. So when these guys came down, these Jews came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, you know, Peter and Barnabas, they feel this pressure. And so these guys dissembled with them. And so for that time they were there, Peter and Barnabas wouldn't eat with the saved Gentiles. This is what he's talking about. Now they're, they're not doing that, but you know their conscience is like, I'm doing wrong. But because of the pressure, you get it? And so... You know, Paul says, I rebuke you. You guys are silly. And they were. And so sometimes you may, by what you allow, someone may feel a pressure because you're doing it to engage in it, but the whole time they're thinking, I shouldn't be doing this. And you're making that man sin. And so if you can keep him from sinning, that's what Paul says that we should do in violating his conscience. 
And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish of whom Christ died. But when ye sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. In our text, really all these texts, the three we discussed, Paul is appealing to two, really in these examples, two distinct groups of individuals. And he's asking these two groups, primarily the Gentiles, who had no really idea of the Jewish traditions and customs, and then the Jews who are saved, who that's all they really have known their whole life is the law and Jewish customs. He's asking these two people who agree on this one point, that Jesus Christ is Lord and through Him is salvation by grace through faith, that on that point can both sides get along? Can you defer to one another? Can you live within the parameters of, of that singular uh, paramount issue and not um, push and pull each other in ways that offends and provokes uh, each other. Of course, the first group is Gentile converts, and these Gentile converts are in fact saved. Uh, they're saved by grace through faith, they're on their way to heaven, and they've embraced that salvation, they've embraced grace, they know really not much else than that, and they have some liberty and freedoms, and they exercise it. Um, they grasp in a way because they were intellects, in a lot of ways, the Greeks, uh, they understood the, 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 the magnitude of God's grace, and, and they lived in that liberty. Uh, they felt freedom to eat and drink and celebrate and worship in a way that the second group did not approve of. The second group were the Jewish converts, and they too were saved by grace through faith. They were trusting in what Christ did on the cross to save them. They embraced grace, but they still felt compelled to keep much of the law. And for the group here, I'm going to suggest, they're not saying that you have to do it to be saved, but they saw it as a duty of obedience after they were saved. So they still refused certain foods, kosher. They would not drink wine. They preferred to worship God on the Sabbath day, which would have been what they had always done on Saturday, while the Greeks would have followed the tradition of doing it on a Sunday. And so these two groups are more, um, one liberally minded, and I'll use the word, um, the other is more conservative. I, I sometimes really hate these words. These are constructs that have attitudes with them, but you get the idea. And, but they agreed on the doctrine of Christ. The Gentiles here in our text are described as those who are strong in faith or the liberty of Christ. And the Jewish brothers here are often described as legalistic or bound traditionalists, unnecessarily religious. At least that's how the Gentiles saw them. Um, the Jewish believers in the text, according to Paul, were weak in faith, which just really means this. They were more easily offended. Um, I, I don't have any, I'm not, I'm not picking a side that God doesn't pick, but I think we all understand this. The more conservative people tend to be, the more easily offended they are. And the reason for that, they have more points to be offended on. Right? And that just makes sense. And, 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 they, and they're serious about their faith often. And so when someone's doing something that they think is wrong, it often offends them. It's not just something they hold, it often has, they see a problem with it. And, uh, and we have all kinds, you know, uh, of believers in the world today and some here in the church as well. So the Jewish believers though, um, out of good conscience, and it was good conscience, they held standards and priorities. 
And they looked down on the Gentiles, just as the Gentiles looked down on them. But they looked at them this way. These people are too cavalier. They don't understand the holiness of God. They don't realize, you know, how, how special he is and that he deserves a greater amount of reverence and holiness from their life. And you can see from both sides, you know, from the heart, both arguments are arguable. You know, I have liberty in Christ. Man, God is holy. And they're not, they're both true. You know, so you got to hold this in the way that you know to hold it. And, and so, and, and Paul's really not coming down hard on a side. And so Paul looks at both these groups and he's making a strong appeal for them not to judge. He's not saying, change your opinions. He's just saying this, don't force them upon somebody else. And he's saying, and, and don't stop eating with them. Don't stop going to church with them. Don't provoke them and don't withdraw from them. He says, don't judge them. He says, rather be fully persuaded in your own minds. Okay, so now this is important, and I'm going to get off my notes here. But, but he's not talking about theology. Both groups are pretty rock solid on theology. Saved by grace through faith. That's the only theology here that Paul presents as the one that's not, that you can't move the line on. Okay, and, and I, I need to spend some time here, and I want everybody to look up here for a second. He's, he used this phrase several times, be fully persuaded. Okay. So, this is a whole sermon that's going to be a caveat. Here's a problem for lots of us. Lots of us have opinions about things. Well, I can wear this. I cannot wear this. I can do this. And I can do that. I can watch. I can't watch. He shouldn't watch. You know, all the things. Here's the thing, honestly. A lot of you probably aren't actually thoroughly persuaded. You just have an opinion. See, here's a, the, the thing here is, what does it mean to be you know, thoroughly persuaded? Well, a good place to be thoroughly persuaded from is this book. Okay? Not from social cues or what other churches are doing or, or what contemporary culture says. If you're going to be thoroughly persuaded, let the Bible be your guide. And some of you hold positions that you have not thoroughly researched from the Word of God. Is that fair? You have enough knowledge, a lot of us do, to be dangerous on any given subject. So my point is this. You, Paul said, I don't want you to be dogmatic on these gray areas to other people. For you it's great. But, but my take on this is we all could probably do a better job of being fully persuaded in our own minds. And I think being fully persuaded is more than having an opinion. So if you have an opinion on any standard or rule or whatever else, I would think before you ever persuaded someone else, you might want to do a thorough Bible study on the subject to make sure you are in the right place for you. Because you might find yourself changing once you read the Bible. Is that fair? Okay, so I, you know, I, besides responding to other people, you better really study a subject. And that's all the free stuff tonight. Uh, is, you know, we all have thoughts, but we might all be a lot closer together if we actually study the Bible. <laughs> okay, whatever. And, and so, he's appealing this way. For the sake of the cause of Christ, get along. Okay? And there's something bigger here. Um, don't have so strong opinions about these gray matters of life. So, so you know, some I see in the text, in terms of the local church and three different churches, 
can we understand, let's just make it here, Eastland Baptist Church, Eastland Baptist Church is going to have members who have a different opinion, but a great number of gray area subjects. They may not be gray to you, but they might be gray to us. Okay? And if you're thinking it's not a gray area, that's great. Okay? The one doctrine Paul's argued here, saved by grace through faith. And of course, we can talk about the deity of Christ and other things, but I think Paul is assuming all that is assumed. There's going to be differences here. And so, you need to be aware of that. Not every person arrives at Eastland Baptist Church via the same road. There are people who walk up here, they just got saved, and they don't have a clue about anything that's important to you. There's other people who are raised in a home with all these, all these uh, standards and, and, and uh, things they were taught as convictions, not disparaging those a bit, and they were taught this their whole life, and, and, and they, they dearly love and hold on to these things. And when that person meets this guy, you know, you love Jesus? I do. Do you love Jesus? I do. Get along. Now, I'm not saying there's going to be differences that we don't have to define as a church. Obviously, we do that uh, doctrinally, theologically, and philosophically here. And that's why you're attending church here, most likely. But the point Paul's making, when these two people meet each other in the church, you know, other things is given, and there's appropriate leadership and some guidelines of who the church and what the church is, and we have all that in place here, and then live with each other. Um, differences can be expected. And the second thought is, is Paul says it's okay. He says it's okay. Paul doesn't come down heavy on either side. He tips his hat at a leaning. And, you know, he's, I think, has a, uh, a leaning towards the idea of um, grace is a great big deal in his mind. And there's a lot of liberty there. But then Paul restricts himself in a thousand areas for love's sake. And, and I think that's, that's helpful. And so Paul here uh, doesn't correct either side. And that's often why I feel like I preach the way I do is I want to preach a principle and a truth, and everyone knows what kind of church Eastland Baptist Church is and, and, and what we expect here, but I think within that parameter, you've got to do business with that. And we have leadership requirements and things we expect on the platform and from, and from leaders, whatever else, and we do have doctrinal philosophical positions on a lot of these issues, but I think for you going home with your family, you can't lean too heavily on me for what you teach your children because you've got to live that way consistently in your home. And you better be fully persuaded so they can be. And I've watched a lot of fundamental churches who lean too hard on this guy and then kids grew up and they said, well, that's what I thought he taught. But what about you and mom and dad? Mom and dad taught. And so it's really important that we have brains and exercise them. That we have personal convictions. And I don't mean to be demeaning. You know what I'm saying there. You've got to own this stuff. You got to own it beyond the pulpit in your own Bible study. You, you got to own this stuff so you can, you can teach your children. So he doesn't look at these people um, who are very conservative. He doesn't say, hey, you guys loosen up. No, he says, just have grace. He doesn't say, you don't have to do these things. No, he doesn't say that. You, you want to worship on the, on the Sabbath? You can do that. And if you want to keep these dietary laws and that means something to you by the Holy Spirit of God, you do that. He never corrects them, except for it would lean into that's necessary for salvation, that he'd be, that's anathema. But if you guys want to do that, you do that. And you people over here who don't do that, you respect him. You respect his discipline. 
You respect that he has that kind of heart to serve God in that way. Right? In a lot of ways, that's harder that way. And he doesn't look at the people who are, um, ha have this more uh, liberty in their life. He doesn't say, no, you guys step it up. You, you guys should keep a few more rules. You should think about these standards and convictions. Paul just, Paul just teaches the Word of God. And is assuming they'll develop them as they should from the outgrowth of the truth of the Word of God. And people who have none, they will get some, and they should get some in time as they see them from the Word of God. So he doesn't correct. Um, he says, I just need you both to get along. God accepts everyone in this room. So if he can, why can't you? And you should be strong enough to accept them. Okay? Now, I, I, again, I, I caveat, stop here. That doesn't mean everything is acceptable. <laughs> you know, there, there comes a point where all of us have to conform to what Eastland Baptist Church is. And if you can't conform to that, well, then you need to go someplace else. And if you didn't know, you know, Eastland Baptist Church is, is a more conservatively bent, traditional style church who does things spirited and lively. We do think very highly of things moral and ethical. We care how we dress and how we look. We don't want to be immodest and decent. We want to preserve the idea of male and female. And I could go on and on. And if that doesn't fit you, then this isn't the church for you. So I, I'm, this is not an open book for a thousand things. You get one adult conversation here. Okay? There's, there's parameters. And there were parameters in these churches. But it was an influx of a lot of new people. Permission is given in the text to accept a parameter of different ways to live, at least initially, as people were growing. Um, and so we need to have that same heart. And again, I would encourage you to be fully persuaded. Um, so the dynamic that was missing in all three of these churches was the dynamic of deference. And I think all of us have an idea of what deference is. Talk a little about Sunday. The heart of deference is, is limiting myself for the sake of someone else's interest. That's it. By the way, we, we show deference all the time. When you walk into a restaurant, you're probably showing deference to the spirit and the mood of the, of the restaurant. In other words, if it's a black tie restaurant, you're not going to walk in there in Bermuda shorts and flip-flops. Well, I can. Well, you could. They won't like it. Right? I mean, there's rules and standards and expectations in a thousand different institutions out there. And we, and we pretty easily can fit a lot of those things. Um, and, and so Paul's saying in the spiritual way in the church, that spirit's got to be there, spirit of difference, to, to not exercise liberty um, in such a way that causes someone else to be hurt or offended. It says, well, why should I have to be stronger because of them? <laughs> because God asks you to be stronger because of them. Well, why is the stronger guy always got to give in? Because he is the stronger guy. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Well, it's right. No, no, no. You're just stronger. Let's not go there. Just you're stronger. So Paul, the stronger, was willing to yield in a great number of areas. Um, in other words, he, he could do things. If he walked into a, a place and the people all there were not eating the meat to sacrifice to idols, Paul said, man, I'm not eating that stuff. 
No, no one here is going to drink that stuff? I'm not touching that. No way. That's duplicity. No, it's not as thoughtfulness. It's courtesy. Just, just having a brain that these people matter. And why would you want to offend them? I mean, love doesn't ever offend. It's not its nature. It's not asking you to do something that's right or wrong. He's asking you just don't hurt these people what you do. And so Paul just continues his plea for that kind of acceptance out of love, good judgment. Not all of our liberties have to be exercised on both sides of the aisle. He says, let's not, our, let's not allow what we may allow to be a stumbling block or a hindrance to someone else's faith, conduct, standards, or spirit. This is the obligation and duty of every Christian. And Paul's theological perspective is that in Christ there's great liberty. These Jewish people, they're not going to eat this meat. So Paul said, I'm not eating it. They worship on a Saturday. I'll go to church with them on Saturday. Um, they're not going to drink. I'm not doing it. And he did all of it with a good spirit out of the sake of love. He acknowledged that's not how I feel, and I think they could have a different liberty, but he didn't push that. He, he didn't try to persuade people. Um, he cared more about, I'm not going to violate their conscience. If someone's in their Bible and reading it, they're going to come to a better place. So if you see someone who you really is, is thinking, who's hurting themselves with some conduct, well, obviously, it's, it's fair to step in if someone's going to hurt themselves. But that can be done in the right spirit. The thing to be, to, to be avoided here is the krinos, the, the judgmental attitude, the negativity. I, I feel I need to interject here. That doesn't mean you can't go to someone and say, hey, boy, if you do that, I, I have seen and observed, maybe in my own life and others, that this kind of behavior can be destructive and harmful. I think that's love too. You, you, you know, I, I feel like maybe you're, you're flirting too close to a line there. That could get you hurt. Or a young lady who's not thinking about dress. Hey, you, you know what? You know, um, you, let's, let me talk about the reasons why something different might be appropriate. That's, that's, that's what, I'm not saying you can't do that stuff in a sweet, right spirit to people where you, you merited the right to say it. Okay? And like teachers would merit the right to say that. And you obviously have the right to say it to your children. And youth group leaders would have the right to say it to the teens. I'm just saying you can't go, well, look at that person. You all stay away from her or him. That's not helpful. It's not helpful. It, it, it's, it's largely about spirit. And, and I, I, there's, a whole, there's lots of sermons here that you have to flush this out with. And I don't have time before I leave. So I, I need you to understand the spirit of this, this part of it. It's, it's okay to exhort, correct, and rebuke. That's all through the Word of God. As long as the exhorting, correct, and rebuking is actually helpful and, and, and not just dogmatism. And, and mean, okay. And again, I just can't. I can't get all that. Um, so, so Paul's just calling these people to observe the one rule they can't break, and that is love each other enough not to do something. And, and by the way, I just feel compelled to keep walking from my notes. Some of this stuff has to be socially cued too. Okay, I, I'm going to pick a subject, and I'll. Whatever. I'm trying to find something that, that's contemporary. Okay, let's talk about alcohol. All right? All kinds of things said about alcohol in the Bible. Some people say it's all grape juice. 
Yeah, it's all grape juice. Some may be fermented, some may not be. <laughs> some may not be. You know, you want to believe it's all grape juice, whatever. Um, I don't hold that opinion, but um, I'm not dogmatic about it. But here's the thing. So some people say, you know, well, I can do this or not do this, or I can do this, this, this setting and not do this setting. Okay, I just want to stop you for a second. I would not argue from the Bible, thou shalt not drink alcohol. I just don't know, I just don't I can. I think I can say this. I can say a lot of things, but maybe like, why? Like, why? I'm not saying there's, you can't, I'm just, there's the why. There's the what's wrong with it, and there's a better question, what's right with it. But let's just do this, social context. How do the commercials of our culture portray it? How would a non-Christian looking at a Christian doing it think about it? Like, there's a lot of things there. Well, I just can do it. Yeah, okay, that's not the point. Okay, you can. But in the social context that we live in as Christians in the United States of America, this is a no-brainer to me. To me, it's a no-brainer in the context we live in. If I went to a Jewish wedding 2,000 years ago, different context. Okay? I'm not telling you it's right or wrong. I'm telling you you got a brain, you got to use it. Things matter in their social context. Sometimes social context has changed. But um, you don't want me doing it. If you do, don't say you do. <laughs> You're going to hurt my argument. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm not trying to say, you know, you can't do that, you know. It's not the point. I'm just saying, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, all things are permissible, but not all things um, edify. And that's the rule that's hired to follow. See, I'm not giving people here liberty tonight on anything. I'm probably trying to pull you up to a higher standard. More like Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You know, well, man, I... There's liberty. There is the liberty to do what's right in the eyes of other people for their sake and their conscience. Okay? And so a reasonable rule is um, my whole life I just pull up for other people's sake. Good for you. That's awesome. Seriously. Good for you for being that person. For walking in the stronger brother way. It's truly commendable. Truly no hint of, um, you know, whatever. It's, it's really the way to live. And, and so Paul lived his whole life this way. You know, the narrow way, you know, the broad way, the narrow way, the narrow way is about salvation, not life. Um, Jesus describes life as a, those who find me will live it more abundantly. But what sometimes may narrow us down a little bit is, um, at least it does me anyway, I have kids. I was going to say I don't have kids in my home anymore, but I still have kids in my home. Um, 
They're little people again, grandkids. That limits things that I do. I mean, I just think about it. I, I'm not, I don't want to be crude. But I, 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 when the kids come to my house, you know, I think about what I have on. You know, that makes sense? I don't think I, don't get the wrong idea, you know, but I'm just saying that I think about that. If you're coming to my house, I think about it. I mean, we're also, we're all, if, you're th- if you care about people, you're always doing that. You say, well, if you've got to change what you're dressed, you, should, you shouldn't be in the first place. I don't know what to do with that. I don't go to dinner and what I use to mow my yard. I mean, it's, you know, I, sorry, there's context. Um, but this is something that Paul's saying is missing in our churches. Is we're not asking, why should I? Paul says, defer. The Gentile life, what they were doing was good. It was acceptable to God. But it means if it hurts someone else, it stopped being good. It stopped being permissible. And I don't like people infringing on my rights. Well, that's what you're called to do. Life's not, as he said here, about food and drink and all that. It's about the law of liberty. It's about the law of love. And we have to do that. Um, he's saying the kingdom of God, verses 7 and 18, are bigger and more important than the issues of meat and drink and all these little things that we fuss over. Um, he says about righteousness and peace and joy. Focus on that. Pursue peace. If you really want to please the Lord, it's not so much about rules, it's about love and exercising that love and helping people. It's about your willingness to love people and accept them and defer to them when necessary in appropriate and thoughtful ways. And this, on the other side, if you have more structure, don't let your opinions always um, oppose other people. Don't always, be, don't always be correcting everyone all the time. There's a right time and place to go encourage and exhort someone. Um, but for all of us, if something, if you, it crosses your brain that doing this, wearing this, watching this, whatever, it, it might offend someone, then that's just real simple then. Don't. Don't. And, and I think it has all kinds of application here at the church. You know? Um, we don't have a dress code to come to church. Well, it may confuse you, but we don't. We have dress standards for leadership and people like that, but there's not a formal dress code. But do we all think that we know what's appropriate here? Do we? Someone may have to come straight from work in a kind of attire, and, and, and that's okay. I'm going to get myself in trouble here. I'm not going to say it. But there's a kind of casual attire that I wouldn't prefer here. And that's me. And I'm pastor and responsible, so don't. Someone's got to decide something. Is that fair? I mean, just being thoughtful. And there's lots of people here who would agree with me if you do say amen. Okay, so you heard them all. So don't. You say, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, I'm not going to help you that far. I'm just saying, we all know what's overly casual. Okay. 
And so defer there for us. And there's a way of talking that you should defer when you come in here. I hope none of you are coarse or crass, but you know, there's just, there's a way to be appropriate. I don't think, um, this is just a building, but kids ought not treat the space in here the way they treat the space of their backyard. So teach them to defer. I mean, you get the idea? Uh, you know, I'm trying to work all sides of the equation so everyone here feels like I validated them. But I mean, we just, we have to get this principle. Because if we don't get it, you're always going to be hurt or offended or looking for a problem or, or pushing your ideas or feel, you're going to feel like all that. You just got to be bigger than this. I think we communicate enough here that if you're trying, you're going to understand what works and what doesn't. And if you, if you need more instruction, then come, go see Daniel. I'm going to be gone. <laughs> I got to turn a lot of pages here. I'm having a talk more than a sermon tonight. If you didn't get that, don't wear flip-flops. No, I didn't say that, so. Can you help me with this? Everybody understand this? This is super important for a church family to work. Eastland Baptist Church is a kind of church. It's, a funda- it's an independent fundamental Baptist church. We're, we're pretty conservative, and um, we're happy with all that. Okay? But we're not stodgy, and we're not judgmental, and we're not condemning, because too many of those same kind of churches who've had that same description have been that, and that's not us either. And one of the things that's been highly attractive to people as they come to a church like this and think, wow, they're different. Because they are those things, but they're also these things. And that's who I want us to be. And I, 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 think, I think that's the best way I understand the Bible wants us to be. Because I have three churches as an example where that's what Paul was trying to say. Okay? All right, let me ask you to stand.